This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church podcast. For more information about us, who we are, and how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. Today's message is delivered by Pastor Randy Roche. So our series is on election, as Pastor said at the onset of our services. This isn't about any local or state or national elections. It is, though, about our place in God's kingdom, His kingdom here on earth kingdom of grace, but also the kingdom of glory in heaven. And now last week we kicked it off with saying that it's not that we proved ourselves worthy of acceptance into heaven. It's not that we earned or merited or deserved salvation. It's not that we even proved ourselves capable of being given faith. It's all because God is capable of giving us faith. Everything is dependent on on the Lord. It was by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that we have eternal life, that we have faith. So the question for today is this, can you turn down the nomination? Can you lose the faith? In a few weeks, we are going to elect someone to be president of the United States. It might be someone who's re-elected or someone newly elected, but nonetheless, one of them will be elected. And the process starts early, doesn't it? Uh, The process has started with like primary campaigns and conventions as unconventional as they were this year. And it's been like this for generations. In the 1880s, presidential run-up, the Republican National Convention took place in June, and there were three individuals that really had a good shot at the nomination to represent the Republican Party in that November election. The three were Ulysses S. Grant, who had already served two terms, but had been out of office for a little while. The other was James Blaine. His family was really one of the pioneers of the Republican Party. Some of them served in the Lincoln administration. They still held a lot of sway and a lot of wealth. The last one was John Sherman. His brother was the famous General William Sherman who made the march on Atlanta at the end of the Civil War. So these three men each held significant blocks of Republican delegates. And so when time came for balloting, they made it all the way through the first ballot and not one of these three had a majority. Nobody had a majority on the second ballot or the third ballot or the fourth or the fifth ballot. There was no majority on the tenth ballot or the 15th ballot, or the 20th ballot, and all kinds of political machinations were going on behind closed doors of smoke-filled rooms, jockeying with promises, swapping delegates. And on the 25th ballot, there was no clear winner. Or the 30th or the 35th, and as they called the roll on the 35th ballot, and they did so state by state, alphabetically, it was obvious by the time they got to Wisconsin 
that there would be no clear winner. All of the delegates of Wisconsin committed themselves to James Garfield. On ballot 36, James Garfield won in a landslide. He was nominated and in the fall was elected President of the United States. Not because he asked for it, it was bestowed upon him. So last week we talked about being elected, being elected into God's kingdom of grace and God's kingdom of glory simply by the love and the mercy of our Creator Redeemer, not by anything that we have done. We heard it again today as Pastor read through that epistle lesson. Paul talking to the Romans in chapter 9 verse 18. He says, God has mercy on whomever He wills. Last week we heard Jesus say, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Luther, Luther put it this way. This is the, the explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed. How many of you had to memorize this when you were in confirmation class? Okay. Would any one of you like to come up and do it from memory? Probably not. Oh, we don't have to. we got it right here. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength Believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him. But the Holy Spirit called me by the gospel, enlightened me with His gifts, and sanctified and kept me in the true faith. It's all about Jesus. C.S. Lewis in his masterful piece, Mere Christianity, talks about how we get our earthly life. And, and he says this, we derived it from others, from our father and mother and all our ancestors without our consent. How many of you asked your parents if you could be born? Anybody? Doesn't happen that way, does it? Ridiculous question. But C.S. Lewis equates our birth of spiritual life to the same process. He says, now the God who arranged that process, our earthly life, is the same God who arranges how the new kind of life, the Christ life, is to be spread. There are three things that spread the Christ life to us. Baptism, belief, and Holy Communion. So it is by the power of God in His Word and sacraments, and it's the Word that makes the sacraments effective, it's God's Word that brings us to spiritual life. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. God gives us that ability to believe. But can we reject it? That's the question for today. Once we are entrusted with a faith, once we are blessed with a faith, can we reject that faith? And the answer is pure and simple from Scripture, yes. Again, C.S. Lewis talks about our natural life. He says, your natural life is derived from your parents. That does not mean it will stay there if you do nothing about it. You can lose it by neglect, or you can drive it away by committing suicide. You have to feed it and look after it. But remember, you are not making it. You are keeping up a life 
you got from someone else. Think about that. Our lives are derived from our parents. And, and we are called to steward our lives. You know, get the proper rest, eat the proper foods, get the right exercise, physical exercise, mental exercise, use your gifts and talents and abilities. Because if we get caught up in the wrong habits, we can destroy the life. Or, as C.S. Lewis said, we can just shut life off anytime we want. But again, he equates this with our spiritual walk when he says, in the same way a Christian can lose the Christ life which has been put into him. A Christian can lose the Christ life that's put into him. He can reject it. Early in 1968, the presidential process was getting into high gear. It looked like Richard Nixon was going to be the Republican nominee, and everyone expected that President Johnson would run for another term, even those who were working with him. And they soon began to talk about his agenda for the following four years. And then in a surprise to the nation, in a national address, he uttered those words, I will not seek nor accept my party's nomination for President of the United States. terminated at the end of his term. And we can do the same thing. We can say, enough. I'm done. And there are people that we find in the Bible who did just that. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. In his next letter, he says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And Pastor read for us today from John 6, this is verse 66, Jesus is teaching about the necessity and partaking in his body and blood. And after this, it says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Enough. They committed spiritual suicide, if you will. So why? Why do some reject a faith that is so freely and richly given to them? Why do some people reject a faith that transforms life today and promises perfect life in heaven that will last forever? Why would anyone who once possessed this life-enhancing, life-giving gift ever forsake it? I think there's a number of reasons. Among them, I think, are these four main reasons. One, there are some hard teachings among Christians. I mean, I'll give you that. Jesus is in the synagogue in Capernaum, and he's preaching. These are to people who have been following him, people who have been walking with him, who have been believing in him. And all of a sudden, he starts to talk about things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have absolutely no part with me. Verse 60 says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Who can believe it? Who can follow it? And then we hear that so many who had followed him at that point left. The teaching was too hard. And I hear that today. 
I hear people say, you know, I was hanging in there with Christianity until you know, the Bible says that people, no matter how, how deeply in love they are and committed they are, cannot get married if they are of the same gender. It's just too hard of a teaching. Or there are some who would say, I don't know if I can follow that whole created in six days kind of thing. I mean, I, I don't agree with it. It's just too hard of a teaching. Or those who say, isn't a person given the right to decide what happens with their own body? And yet, the church says that a abortion is taking a life that's way way too hard of a teaching. I just can't continue. Or the person that informed me that couldn't really handle the, the teaching that Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only way to heaven. Far too close-minded. For some people, it's a lack of trust. And that's the way it was for Charles Templeton, who was a prominent evangelist in the latter part of the 1940s and the early part of the 1950s. He had a lot of tent revivals. He was a Canadian, but he visited 44 of our United States and was heard by thousands every time he spoke. After a while, he began having severe headaches and chest pains after his, his sermons. Found out it wasn't physical. He said it was emotional and mental because he had come to understand that he really didn't believe what he was preaching. As he read through the Bible, he just couldn't believe in things like a worldwide flood or a fish that swallowed a human and spit him back up again or all of those miracles. went on to say that he couldn't believe that there was a loving God as he saw pictures of starving children being held by African mothers. He died, I think it was in 2005, from Alzheimer's, but he had visited with a Christian who asked him a simple question. You know you're dying, don't you want to get back into the faith? His amazing answer was this. I long for what I used to have. I just don't think I can have it again. For some people, it's a love of the world. I think that's what it was for uh, last week's gospel with the rich young ruler who amassed wealth for himself and, and was really a good guy, a wonderful neighbor. But he was poor in his relationship with the Lord. You know, Jesus told a parable about a, a farmer whose crop was so good he had to tear down all of his old barns and build new ones. And he said to himself, this is it, man. I've made a life for myself. And God said, you fool. What if your soul's demanded of you tonight? See, that's, we can be like that. We can get so caught up in our, our position at work or the possessions we have at home that we begin to live for these things. They become the focus. They become our identity. And, and slowly but surely, God has, 
moved from the center of our lives out somewhere in the distance. And then there's some who are lazy in their faith. Well, they never intended to lose the faith. It just kind of slipped away. C.S. Lewis says this, A Christian can lose the Christ life which has been put into him. He has to make efforts to keep it. And there are some who used to have devotions at home, you know, when the kids were little. But now that they've moved out of the house, they've stopped. We used to pray together, some say. And then we just got out of the habit. These people never intended to lose faith. It was just slow, but sure. So how do we hold on to this faith? How do we retain this faith that God has so generously given to us? You know, after Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, John tells us in chapter 12 that just a number of people came to see Jesus. He was the center of attention and some some Gentiles, Greeks specifically, came to one of Jesus' disciples, the one named Philip, and, and said this to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful line? We wish to see Jesus. We heard about Jesus. We notice that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Scriptures. We believe and trust in Jesus. We want to see Him. These should be our words every day. I wish to see Jesus. And, and of course, it's, it's about, as John wrote in Revelation, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. We can't wait to see you. We can't wait to be with you, of course. But it's even every day that we get in these mortal lives, we wish to see Jesus. And maybe we can, we can remember these efforts, as C.S. Lewis would say, the efforts to hold on to the faith. Maybe we can remember these efforts with the word WISH, W-I-S-H. Maybe that should be an acronym for us. W stands for worship. How important this is. You know, I hear people say, well, church doesn't really matter. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, church is simply a man-made organization, and I say false. The church is a God-ordained living organism that we call a family. It's a place where God has designed Christians to gather on a regular basis, a weekly basis, so that we can grow together in faith toward God and in care for one another. It's here that we receive what Jesus talks about when he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. This is why we're here. I know it's really easy to get away from this. Just miss a couple of Sundays, and sometimes it's harder to get up on a Sunday than just lay in bed. But it's important. I is for intercession. That's a nice church word for prayers. Prayers are important every single day, not just when we're in trouble or when we need something, but our prayers should always be about God's will, about our requesting that God's will be done to us and through us. The S is serve. 
We are called to live out our faith. We are called to be a light in a world that's darkened by sin. And one of the best ways to serve is that in every one of your relationships, in your sphere of influence, that you would illustrate the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. That by your words and your actions, that others would see Jesus through you. H is for home. That primary place where faith and hope and love are fostered. Home is that spiritual safe place. Oh, I know what the world is like. The world is very critical of our Christian morals and standards. It's very critical of our convictions in Christ. And it's good to be able to come home to a place where we know the truth. And we live the truth. We foster the truth. And we encourage one another in the truth. Let me conclude with just this little exercise. I want you to think of a gift you were freely given that you absolutely treasure. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a gift that one of your children made in school. You know, one of those Mother's Day or Father's Day gifts. You know, the, the brooch made of macaroni. I have a paper clip holder made of clay. I don't know if it was intended to be a paper clip holder, but it is today. And a Campbell's soup can that holds my pencils with creative first grade art. Maybe you're thinking of something that's an heirloom, something that's been passed down for generations, something that belonged to a great grandparent and now has such wonderful significance to you because it reminds you of their love. Think about that gift you treasure. Think about the place it holds in your heart. Think about how you display it. Think about how you care for it. Now, think about this. The greatest gift you have ever been given is faith. Faith in Jesus. It is faith that eradicates the stain of sin and the grip of guilt. It is faith that removes the fear of death and grave. It is faith that directs us away from hell and off to heaven. And when our time in this world is concluded, it will be the only thing that remains. So let's Think about this gift and let's treasure it. Let's feed it. And let's care for it. And let's exercise it. And let's just live it for the glory of God and the benefit of others. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. We'll see you next week and God bless.